This is Gemma Redgrave, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 509 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we've been told it's safest to not think, so prepare yourselves for a lot of silence. Okay, that is actually harder than it sounds. I'm not Julie. I'm not Kier. I'm not Jay. And I'm not Haley. This week, we learned that the edge of the universe isn't just dark, it's really, really dangerous. Our second special of 2023, Wild Blue Yonder, puts the Doctor and Donna face-to-face with themselves and their inner minds. The out-of-control TARDIS deposits our friends on a ship at the farthest limit of creation and promptly leaves them seemingly stranded. Some exploration leads to discovering their whereabouts, but also the presence of a sentient life form from beyond this universe that begins to mimic their appearance and persona. The more the being learns from them and how to copy them, the closer it gets to being able to stop a clever failsafe that was put in place by the ship's late captain, and in doing so, invade this universe to catastrophic results. Dealing with this danger means having their images warped and their most hidden thoughts exploited, in a twisted and terrifying race against a very slow clock. destroyed half the universe because of me. We stand here now on the edge of creation, a creation which I devastated. So yes, I keep running, of course I do. How am I supposed to look back on that? It wasn't your fault. I know! Where do we want to begin with this? This is, there's so much happens in this, in this bizarre story. Like, where do you even start? One of the things that I had, which may be a good place to begin because it's the beginning where the TARDIS lands, and the idea that the TARDIS often, quotey fingers, accidentally takes the Doctor and companions wherever they seem to be most needed, but also kind of into a dangerous spot, but because the TARDIS knows that there's something the Doctor should fix or pay attention to, so... I know we've seen this before, but it was this a successful implementation of that? Did we like how that set them up and how the TARDIS interacted with the story as a as a kickoff? Oh no. No. Yeah, if the TARDIS had not taken them there, then they still would have the bad guy still would have been destroyed and the doctor and Donna would not have been placed in danger. Yeah. <laughs> they they were Indiana Jones. Yes. It's true. 
Because the timer would have just continued slowly and they never would have figured it out. Right. Exactly. Look, we cleaned up our own mess. Good job, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So then to follow on that is why do we think or was it just an accident for the TARDIS to bring them there this time then? Yeah, she was completely out of control. And I... I don't know if I agree with that, though. I think there's there's probably – I might be reading too much into it, but that's the kind of what we're here to do. And that's – I think there's an ulterior motive. And in the TARDIS's case, yes, uh, seemingly out of control, uh, seemingly depositing them, you know, haphazardly crashing into this horrible location that they could have otherwise avoided, and, and playing them a, a war song, right, at the outset mm-hmm. that's sort of – pricks the doctor's ears um, to to consider that curious. And it, absolutely absolutely right. Every single one of you saying that, you know, if Woody had gone straight to the police, this would never have happened. Kind of a, that kind of a scenario. But at the same time, it also accomplishes something, which I'm sure we're going to start to, to scratch the surface on, is what this experience did for the doctor and Donna. So maybe that was, you know, putting them in this precarious situation that they didn't really have need to be in, kind of maybe assuming that they would solve it because that's what they do, and then hadzing out of there is serving another purpose for the characters rather than for the conflict. Maybe? Uh, yeah. Well, we're also in the position of having the meta knowledge that this is part two of a three-part story, and we don't really see at this point how it ties into what we saw before or what we know kind of what we're seeing next, but maybe we get information in part three that makes it important that part two happened. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen is there is some important thread from this that's going to carry through into the next part of the story because we know that these three specials are part of one larger story. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it it brings the, hopefully it'll bring it full circle and then that's the moment where you watch them again to see what those little breadcrumbs were that we know are likely there. I, I, I don't know. It, it seems like, I mean, like I said early, I wanted to, I, I expect that there might be some little hints that you don't pick up except on rewatch, but I'd, I'd be hard pressed to figure out how this is going to connect to the other aside from just a stepping stone. Well, I mean, that actually leads into one of my points if we want to jump to it, which is what may have been a throwaway line may have been a coincidence of the phrasing, but one of the things that the not doctor, not Donna say is we want to play your games and win. Yeah. Knowing what we know about the toy maker and what happened the last time he was in a story. I mean, were they just looking to conquer the universe or were they looking to play the toy makers game and win? Are, are you implying that they were from the toy makers dimension or that they were able to cross over because of something that the toy maker might've facilitated? It could have been either. I just thought it was an interesting phrase to use, knowing what we know about the toy maker. Or what if the wormhole that the ship fell into fell into something closer to the toy maker's realm? What I think is likely going to happen is that line about, you know, we want to play your games or the the wormhole that it fell through or the doctor invoking a superstition at the edge of like all of these things are sprinkled in there so that when the next story takes place whatever the viewer may have latched onto could be the explanation so that they feel like they figured something out. You give them multiple clues so that when they grab one or two, they feel like they're onto something. 
That's very likely because that's something that when Russell knows he is working on uh, a display of clever, he doesn't pull any 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 stops. It's just a matter of making sure that everything has some degree of interconnectedness, whether it contributes to the story overall or whether it's just there to show the holistic nature of uh, you know, the, the doctor's existence and, and no such thing as coincidences. There are no real throwaway lines because who, who has time for, for mindless banter when you are considered such a fascinating creature that uh, – or what, what, did, what did not Donna say? Oh, you are such a prize. Yeah. 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 Let, let's – Let's go ahead and jump into one of the major points that we knew was coming in this, but the the canonization of the flux. Yeah, this as as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we had heard a, a mention that uh, when Russell was being asked whether or not he was going to completely discard uh, Chibnall's uh, addition to the uh, to the canon, uh, he said no. Um, I, he didn't actually imply whether or not he was going to leverage it. Or just permit it, but it looks like, to some degree, that it's actually being uh, utilized. And I've got to thank uh, one of our good good friends and 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 Huvian traveling buddy of ours, Raimani, who pointed out that this felt very much like a guilt that was carried around the neck, like the albatross, for considering oneself to be the last of the Time Lords. And we lost that when the whole time war got sort of unraveled or undone in a sense, and that guilt was shed. But now, so you know, lo and behold, um, we get to we get to saddle that on again. And really, I mean, that was a rough, rough sequence to watch for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, Tennant's performance with just standing there in the middle of trying to suss out this Turing test that he's doing yeah. with this with this creature but at the same time bringing these things to the surface that that at least on the surface does not want to talk about does not want to address but you see it starting to shake him like because of the expressive hair you can see the tremble in his body uh, so it's it's and really really tough you can't discount that it could have been the real Donna, mm -hmm. and then sure. now you can't skip over having heard and listened to what she was saying, and because they know that these creatures are trying to become them or figure it out later, what I don't remember if what they figured out was right before or right after that, but that that they are taking their minds and be literally becoming copies with all of the memories and not knowing if then that knowledge is out there in another mind that is m malevolent is what we're thinking. Obviously, I think at that point mm. they had determined, you know, they wanted to eat them, just had to figure out the mouth. So <laughs> it, that's... The jaw. <laughs> yeah, the jaw, right. That's scary that, to know that everything that you've done your entire life as a, as a Time Lord is in another person's head. Exploitable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the knowledge about you, where you came from, where you're going. Right. Is, is there something, if that's the case, and if it was something that uh, was intentionally put back because, uh, for whatever the the rationale may be, it 
almost seems as if that is your showrunner saying that this uh, this lead character is more interesting or compelling when they are the finger quotey broken hero, and that they're just not allowed to be fully stable. You know, their their psyche is not allowed to be intact because that's not interesting enough. Well, look at look at everything that we got from classic. Who look at the? I mean, the arguably the most popular doctor was Tom Baker, who was completely unhinged. So emotional trauma can absolutely bring out interesting characteristics in somebody. So yeah, it's I I think it does make the character more interesting to watch, and honestly, probably more relatable than an all-powerful, all-knowing alien. But does it have to go back to the crippling guilt as the means to do that? Maybe you had- I mean, maybe it's just something specific to David Tennant's doctor. You know, we're used yeah. to seeing him yeah. carrying that certain weight, even when he's not showing it, like you can tell he's carrying it. So, Jay, you were, you were spinning around something. I was saying, like maybe it was a it was it's RTD's thing. Like he, this is how he knows how to write. You know, it's, he's the one that introduced it in the first place. He's like, well, I got to bring this back around. <laughs> I think he's got a couple of other you know <laughs> bullets in the gun there. But I'm wondering if it might have some connection to the reason why we're seeing this face again. Maybe you know when when it's time for guilt, it's time for tenant. That that kind of a. <laughs> The the one thing that kind of jumped out at me, and I and I sat on this for for a little while trying to figure it out, was why was the doctor so intent on believing that that was Donna? Where you had Donna in the other room doing what she does and like rambling and but figuring out that the the uh, that the doctor wasn't that it was not the doctor. Where you had the the doctor in the other room. Wanting so badly to believe that this was Donna, that he didn't actually figure it out until she gave herself up. He uh, wanted it, uh, her to know what he'd been through. He like he he's still the doctor. He still can't open up mm-hmm. and actually talk to his companion, even one that's been his friend for so long. But he wants well, her to know. He needs her to know. And I think one of the things that this really helped to drive home was the fact that for the doctor there hasn't been a lot of time we've we've been waiting for over a year to get this story but for the doctor this is still fresh in the mind and they haven't had time to process what has happened and donna being like hey look i know you don't have to tell me i know allowed him the chance to open up because you're right he's not going to on his own i mean we see that at the end when the real donna asks him what he's been through and he can't tell her right because well uh- and I guess maybe it's still we're still trying to determine exactly how much of the inherent or or seemingly limitless knowledge that the full meta crisis induced Dr. Donna had or still has. So if we're still trying to suss that out to, with any kind of certainty, the doctor would recognize that yeah I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discuss this elephant in the room. But if anybody brings it up, if anybody is going to have any sense of comprehending the magnitude of of what I'm trying to work through, it's Dr. Donna because they – when they say they've seen into my mind, they really mean it. And they would have been able to – they would have had the capacity to actually take that all in. And and the Dr. Donna is really the only person and Donna just as a person – 
is one of the few people that the doctor has ever been able to look at as a peer. Mm. You know, a somebody true peer. that is yeah. yeah. So it it makes sense that to be able to I mean maybe that's part of the reason why we're seeing this face again because he's like I I need to be able to work through this and I have one person I can rely on mm-hmm. even if they can't remember me. Really interesting little thing that that I pulled out of that was that even though it was the not thing that was saying the, the you know Donna's side of that exchange the it's because of its understanding of Donna's mind and memories and mannerisms and reactions and emotional levels and things that I feel like, in a sense, were Donna to be actually cognizant of all of these things and be have, be the one having this conversation, the 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 empathy that came along with things like, you know, there was so much hurt in you and the way that that came across, I think that would be – that is Donna. That is that is the – that is that this creature – taking exactly what you know how she would feel how she would act maybe even how she feels if if you know if if it's buried in there somewhere i don't know um but it's it's legit and it hurts yeah i think you get a little bit of that at the end and she's willing to continue the conversation she just can't carry the knowledge part of her half but she's not afraid to continue to carry the thread of that and asks the doctor Will you be okay? Can you talk about it? I, I admit I can't understand because it's too much. It's too hot of a memory. But are you going to be okay? And then, oh, oh, we're here. Ha ha, let's go. Mm-hmm. You timed that so that you could get out of this conversation. So yeah, Donna calls the BS and knows what's there. Just can't, like the creature, can't have been there because her brain is um, our our size. <laughs> Human size. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and as they were saying in some of all of this banter, you know, she's uh, she's stupid and also brilliant and can be both of these things. And so that yeah. that brings me to something that I wanted to talk with you all about, and that's the nature of these weird um, labyrinthine tests and hooks and traps that they were setting for each other in this really fascinating dialogue. I think Davies probably had a field day writing this stuff because the whole idea of what do you divulge and what do you admit to and what do you claim as proof that you are you because I would know that or I wouldn't have known that but the fact that I don't know that means that I'm that and and yeah. it just it was a it was I found it hilarious to watch more so than than compelling I just laughed at it but, so the one in the middle <clears throat> With the doctor's tie, the not doctor's tie. Mm. I really loved Donna figuring that out. I felt mm-hmm. like the not Donna giving it away to the real doctor was a little bit of a letdown. And the fact that they, yeah. those happened like almost back yeah. to back. And that's, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. Like the I, I did love the fact that Donna is rambling. And while she's doing that, she's already figured it out because she doesn't miss a beat saying this, 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 this and, and what happened to your tie? Like she's already on – she is distracting the not doctor in order to get that information, whereas the doctor wanted it to be Donna so badly that he wasn't laying traps. He was he was just vulnerable. I honestly thought that it was an okay moment for Donna to melt into the floor because you if – you, if she didn't, then you get 
like what would have happened, right? They were going in for the hug and he's like, no, yeah. it is really yeah. you. He but lost. I think, yeah. He, yeah, he lost that. He he believed. And, and so I think that that was, <laughs> I mean, for me, yes, hilarious, but also the fact that it was her and that she admits like, oh, I just couldn't hold it together because you all are a mess. I, one, like Donna laughing in his face and falling into a puddle in the, like that was hilarious and heartbreaking all at the same time and it imagine being the doctor in that moment being that vulnerable and having your best friend laugh in your face even if it's not actually your best friend but then the fact that he knows that he lost like he really could have messed up there i think that leads into him walking into that corridor and the and just losing his 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 mind over it agreed and probably makes it that much harder for him to be vulnerable with the real donna later yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that is something inherent to what needs to be resolved during this this trilogy. You know, something having to do with the reason why these two are being given one more time across the dance floor is because it's something that's not just an unresolved storyline that the that the fans really wanted to have back, but it's something that's going to move the doctor on to uh to a better place place for going through something rather cathartic so mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a it's a process where it's not just an apology to donna or something like that or or some sort of a making things right there it's also something that has has to happen within the doctor because it's, it, it it ties to a larger theme for them or a larger obstacle that's not just limited to uh the donna memories and donna experience Um, One of the things that I really liked about the visualization of this episode that dealt with the prior to the the reveal for when the doctor and the Donna, not not doctor and not Donna entered the scene was the colorization of the rooms to be orange and blue. And for a split second, I wasn't sure if we were seeing something in the past and then in the future or something Mm -hmm. like that, or if it was happening at the same time and we're in different rooms like it, like it did eventually come out to be, but I really liked the orange and blue lighting that set it apart and watching with a six-year-old who was very much like, wait, why is there two of them? immediately picked up on it and just the very literal brain of like there are two of them they're in it's this is all happening at the same moment and that's not the right one which one's wrong so that was very i liked that a lot yeah i I commented a few i was gonna say it was a cool effect but there was i don't remember exactly what the dialogue was but there when the second conversation started there was a repetition of a piece of the dialogue i think it might have been about it getting cold or something like that that's kind of sparked me immediately to be like oh something is awry with the situation yeah i was watching with a room full of people um and and they everybody was stayed relatively silent through the first couple of instances where the scene had toggled there and back again maybe two or three times and something was nagging in my brain about it and i and that was before we even had the uh the second uh, appearance of the not thing in the doorway the moment i saw okay now we've got four characters going on i groaned uh audibly because i knew <laughs> like the, the penny had just dropped and everybody else in the room was still rolling with it thinking okay they must have done this other thing and then they went over and started messing with the water 
no, 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 no. But Julie, you saying, and I've commented on this a few times just today to coworkers and things, that six-year-old mind, that literal mind that doesn't want uh, sarcasm, doesn't want idioms, doesn't want expressions. You got to say exactly what you mean, because if you use any turn of phrase, they're going to take it so literally. Uh, yeah, can cut right through that. Uh, yep. that's, that's All right. So I'll have to tell RTD, yeah, can't fool my kid. Can't fool my kid. <laughs> and also, like... I was of a, a split mind until the my arms are too long. I was like, oh, yep, nope, you you were right, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things that really kind of helped to set the tone on this, I mean, Murray Gold is back. Like the the music in this was so great because you have the 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 upbeat kind of stuff when they're driving up to the you know the the cockpit that lets you know that you're allowed to have some fun with this part of it and and then when things start to to unravel, you know, it just it, it the music really lends itself to the the mavity of what's going on. Very true. Uh, take I'll give you one snapshot of that that just shows that Murray is starting to experiment with some new things, and it might even be a little bit of acknowledgement of what Segunakanola had been doing in the previous iteration. Take the point where they're having the discussion about. Uh, looking out the window and not seeing the stars mm-hmm. and listen to that sequence. It is very not Murray Gold. That's right true. There. Agreed. Yep. It's synthwave. It's it's ethereal. Uh, it's dark and, and uh, there's no percussion. So that's weird for Murray. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's he's playing with new things, but it fit the scene so well. It was amazing. I can't wait to hear this seasons or you know this set of scores in isolation i i also i've watched it a couple of times and i but i haven't gone for the just listen to the background and i want to go back to that split scene and some of the other ones where it's the doctor and not doctor talking to each other or that room and see if we get some difference in the themes of their introductions and things like that because i know murray's big thing is everyone's got a theme and when as soon as they hit the screen you hear them and i want to see if he played with a little bit more of that as well in some of that interaction moments which subtle cues because you're listening for the dialogue but if he also obviously he was in on it because he knew the whole story but you know what i mean (laughs) about being able to set the stage from top to bottom visual and sound another thing that i've heard both sides of the coin on is the the use of the CGI in this one. And where I, I had nothing but praise for the, the visual effects last time, this time it kind of left me wanting, but not the, the not things and their distorted features didn't bother me. Like the not Donna chasing the, the car down the hallway is terrifying. I'm not even a, like, it, it was so disturbing but them like smashed together because they got too big was was a little hokey. But in the Doctor Who kind of way, the thing that bothered me personally was the the hallway. It looked spectacular. Mm-hmm. But every time you had characters in the hallway, I couldn't help but be like, they're standing in front of a green screen. Like it, it just it was painfully obvious. Yeah. This was very much like the money saving story. We've only got our two lead actors. No, um, until the very end, and then, yeah, a green screen. That's that's it for this one. I 
I liked how they handled some of the coloration of it, though. Each time mm-hmm. the countdown would go, the the spin and the locking in place of the different mechanisms, the colors would change. So it kind of highlighted the story, which, I mean, you're not going to build a massive set like that. And how do you, yeah, how no. else do you place it unless you have the CGI? But yeah, I get what you're saying. It's still flat enough, but I was willing to suspend that belief because I... I couldn't have imagined it, them actually. It, it almost that. felt like it was from Tennant's original era. The effects. <laughs> yeah, the, Jay. I think I, I know where uh, where a lot of your eye is attuned to this because of your profession, and mm-hmm. so shading and lighting in a generated environment is complicated to begin with when you're dealing with uh, perpendicular spaces. Mm-hmm. And then you get yourself into a cavernous, almost like octagonal uh, tunnel that they were in, where there is no direct lighting whatsoever. And there's a very, it's very difficult to figure out right, where is, where's a, a, a shadow going to be cast that makes it feel like they're genuinely standing on this platform yeah. or what have you. It's really, really tough. And uh, unless you want to spend, you know, Lucasfilm kind of bucks on it. And I mean, that's, that's the thing is like the CGI itself was great. I loved that corridor. It looked gorgeous. And all of the animation every time there was a countdown was so fantastic. It was just the, the actors being in that environment. And it, yeah. you know, to your point, Julie, like nobody thinks they're going to actually be like, no one ever actually thinks they're going to be in that environment. But, but the few times that it did draw me out, it was because of that. And it was just for a few moments and then i'm back into the story so it really is not a, a major gripe but they did a good job repurposing uh marvin from the hitchhikers movie that was that was cool <laughs> no, that's why he was Jim- a little bit rusty <laughs> jimbo was a completely custom built puppet that they and i yeah I, I watched a bit of the behind the scenes and i'm like i i want this thing in my house i love mm-hmm. it i wonder yeah. if they get to keep their giant arms <laughs> well, that's what I was just about to say is I heard that the other <laughs> real effect was the arms that were <laughs> custom yeah. built. And and Donna's backwards knee as well. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some of the body effect. horror. Yeah, some kind real of, body horror in this one. I could not uh, I had was, to keep it. That was an <laughs> that was another one of the things that I've heard is like people being like, Well, this is just John Carpenter's the thing, but done less so. And I'm like, but uh, it's Doctor Who. You're not going to go full Cronenberg on this. Nobody wants that. But the – and yes, yeah, some of it was a little bit goofy, but the stuff that stuck really freaking stuck. Yeah. It was the director himself who said that uh, at the first read that this smacked of Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a, a, a direct intention. Um, you know, And for a two-hander, this is Unintended. a hell of a story. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I did want to keep saying my spoon is too big through the entire <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, that would have been good. I, I, I'm willing to forgive uh, that well, for obvious reasons. You know, we we put our we put our Doctor Who hat on, and then we say, okay, the the effects are are always going to be there, but not quite. We had the the threshold got set really high uh, mm. by Millennium Effects when they started redoing the intro and stuff. And we, we want that throughout, but um, you got to cut it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it really did not detract from the story for me. Like it was, I, I still love this story. I still think it's great. Agreed. 
One other thing that I really appreciated about some of the story beats, and I think wrapping this trio of episodes into something where if someone hasn't watched in a while, which we know has happened, that you can jump back into it now. And they've been dropping a lot of those, especially last episode with the two hearts. In this episode, I feel like we got a lot more of the base TARDIS functionality that you always have to stick in the kickoff of whatever new series or something so that someone can see it. So the Had's explanation, what is that? It was turned off. Uh, how the doc or how the TARDIS translates when they're in a space, and that the thing though that I liked the most about it was that it was more central to the story and not just the doctor spewing out facts about it. It's that you got what happened, and then the doctor said, "Oh." That's because the TARDIS is gone, that we mm-hmm. learned a bit more and some of that lore that we all know for sure. But sometimes people who are not us, who are we, are less likely to either know that or sometimes we write it off that they can just always ex- uh, talk to everyone. So mm-hmm. what were our thoughts? What did Was it handled elegantly? Was it a positive were there ways that that could have been explored a little further? To your point, I mean, giving the sufficient explanation for some of the the baseline understandings uh, and then not lingering on it for too long. And they couldn't in the case of the TARDIS because it's gone by eight minutes into the story, as is the Sonic. And taking those both out of the picture – and forcing us to work with just the characters and not even a full roster of characters, just two, is a really, really interesting way to boil the 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 the, the nature, the 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 core of this kind of programming for someone who's either coming back to it for a little while or really hasn't seen it at all. One of the people that were sitting down to watch it this with us over the over the weekend had never watched a full episode in their lives. And we're reluctant to watch it. Like, I'm just, it's fine. You guys can all watch it. I'm going to catch up on my email or something like that. And about 15 minutes in, they were locked in and commenting with us at what was happening because it was relatively easy to to absorb. And for anyone that is planning on doing any kind of pub trivia or whatnot, 57,205. <laughs> Closest without going over when we ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> so... I thought edge of creation was a very interesting phrase for the doctor to use. Um, aside from that, did we get any explanation of why or how this ship was out at the edge of the universe? Fell through a wormhole. Was, it wasn't supposed to be out as far as it was. Um, but once it was there, it drew the attention from across the veil, so to speak. But your point about using and not just the edge of creation, but creation as a term is a, that's a, that's a minefield. Um, it could just be turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they'd put Edge it? of the Universe in the script too many times and we're trying to mix it up. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> it's it's an interesting word, especially for the doctor to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if it comes up again, then it's absolutely intended. And if it doesn't, then it's just thrown in there. <laughs> like I, it, it is not the kind of word that would be idly added. It's either incredibly intentional or means literally nothing. In one basket, if it's just a matter of the fact that that phrase has such gravity to it, it just sounds you know, ominous. 
ooh, yeah, it has mavity to it, um, then then that's great. It's it's just you know capturing the language for the sake of it, of its own weight. If it's if it's actually creation, could it be alluding to there's something going on in, in determining, you know, uh, pre not creation in terms of deity, but creation in terms of um, uh, your uh, destiny. You've uh, manifest destiny, you know, something that you have created this world, or maybe the doctor is in some way responsible for this universe. Um, as opposed to any of the other pocket universes or wherever they were originally from or whatever, the, you know, that that's sort of a, a larger question. Or it could just be there to make podcasters talk. <laughs> Keep us busy for the next week. Just a week. Isn't that cool? <laughs> just a week? Isn't that weird? Right. I think the, the thing about the edge of creation that stuck a little bit for me was that it, it's, the doctor says that Donna right now doesn't have the, the terms to explain any further but once you learn or once you all humankind learn this next i forget what it was but this New next math. so if you've got kids in elementary school they're gonna learn it and you're gonna have to try and figure it out yeah that specific thing which i think it was kind of hinted at that it, it did get discovered by humans just not yet mm -hmm. then then there would be words to say something like this is the edge of everything so May to Jay's point, like maybe it's just because edge of creation is kind of a it is a way to say it, and you didn't want to just be like this is the end of everything. It stops. It doesn't stop. There's just different past this. So it's mm -hmm. it's stuff versus anti stuff, which is where the the not creatures came from. Right. I mean the the math nerd in me is like oh like when we what is it the Arabian cultures developed a concept of zero. Like, it revolutionizes <laughs> yeah. our ability to do math. That's what's coming. Right. Yeah. I can't wait to hear theoretical physicists sound off on this one. Like, I, want, is... I want to sit down with Brian Cox and <laughs> Yeah, and see what I want goes to hear here. his. Yeah. I, I think it's a fun loop also that we started with finding Isaac Newton. And Sir Isaac Newton or Mr. I mean, Isaac Newton? Spoilers, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the, I think some some part of this, hopefully more than just like it's funny to make marketing posters with Mavity in it and them to that like something has been changed. So are they going to go back and fix it or is now Mavity the word in human planet Earth English because of that that just until happened. we have or the hardest translator again and then it will translate it to gravity so that we understand it no see i think they changed something in the history of what human english knowledge is and that mm. now the word is mavity in this this is some alternate something but they toggled and it kept flipping which was kind of in my mind was saying that's that is the timeline correcting itself gradually no because I was specifically paying attention to it. Donna uh -huh. always said Mavity. One time the doctor said gravity and then corrected to Mavity, not the other way. So I, th I, I do think like the doctor where he says on occasion, like, no, I would feel it if something changed, especially when they walk into this area and he's like, no, there's no time thing because I would feel it I in feel my it skin in my or my bones. 
So I'm wondering, again, this kind of, and it may not play out, but I it, I kind of wonder if this is the something is different, we've changed things, and thus the toy maker is here, granted the alternate universe is playing with things that are different, and part of that is, like, when it started, I don't know, but I, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how that's going to play out. I see. I was yeah. holding it more to like the TARDIS not being there, so the the TARDIS translation link not being there. So Donna didn't have the word that the Doctor remembered, which is gravity. She had the new word, which is mavity, which I had figured Four. out until I started talking about it. <laughs> but it's like an alternate timeline and linguistics thing. It's, so it's alternate now because now that Isaac Newton in whatever they are now has mavity instead of gravity. <laughs> I can't believe this is the hill we're dying on right now. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Because we're never going to get to the last point, which is the only one that Kate wants to talk about. Please, Jay, get the or in there. (laughs) Or this is simply a joke that they got to put in there because you need the humor to make the horror hit harder. So this was a simple way to get the audience to chuckle before you really hit them with something disturbing. And I would have agreed with that if it was one instance. However, because it was a multiple scenario where it kept being like mentioned and said, but dropped casually and not like, hold on, something's different. I've got my quarter right here. I am putting on the table. We will (laughs) never hear the word Mavity again. I will mail you a quarter if that is the case. (laughs) I just like the fan posters of Mavity, the movie that came out a few years ago. and starring Sandra Bullock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to hear the updates on how things are going in the Mavitron Collider. <laughs> and that All might be right. 100% might be why they did it. And if so, I will mail you a quarter. Although I think you're All not right. supposed to send money in the mail. So figure it out. <laughs> okay. Nope. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a kind of a question that goes along with it, because I don't know if we're done. So. The footage that was uh, that we know was shot that um, where Bernard Cribbins was uh, able to make it onto set for the filming um, that we might have expected last episode and didn't get it. And we thought, oh, did they did they just choose not to not to include it or you know what was the case? And then we get to see Wilf again and. We only are given a couple of minutes to enjoy it for for the reunion that it is and the happiness that that we were so desperate to see before everything starts to go to hell. And not just to hell, like, like crazy. It goes to like cuckoo town real yeah. fast. Bombs and um, angry people hitting each other with pans. <laughs> yep. Um, all kinds of chaos in the in the street there. Outside the Cyber Dog Cafe, which if you hadn't caught that in the previous episode, interesting, um, little maybe a little nod there. Um, but I guess what I'm wondering, they all try to take shelter as everything comes raining down on them, and Wolf is still with them at the closing credits. Will we see a little bit more of him, just that last little bit? To be able to say some kind of proper goodbye. Fortunately, not. Um, Russell Davis came out like almost immediately as the the episode aired, and said this was the only 
scene we were able to film. He was meant to be in the third episode, but he his health kind of prevented that yeah. from happening. So they do make a a reference to hey, you know, Wilf went back home. He's doing you know get him to safety. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, but but he will not be in the next story. Which honestly, I kind of love that because we got our reunion with him. We got to see him again. We got to see the joy on his face. And now Wilf will forever in perpetuity exist in the Hooniverse. We never truly have to say goodbye to the character. You know, the, the same as, as, you know, Ian and Barbara who, you know, have been name checked and things like that. And it's just like, no, they're just, they're, they're off doing their thing. And it allows the character to persist. And I can't think of a better way for him to have been sent off. It's. I, I don't know if there was any way that any any tone that could have been put on that scene that would have made it comfortable. No. Um as as light as it was and as joyous as it was at their first embrace and ah my old soldier and and hmm. you know and those kind of exchanges. And and that that's that's such a a, a warm fuzzy but it hurts so damn much. Um, I didn't know. And I'm really glad I didn't because if I had been waiting for that the whole time, I, I think for me, and this is why I avoid spoilers is because my brain would just be waiting for, well, when is he showing up? Because if I had known, but I'm so glad I didn't. And that it was a complete surprise. Of course, the, uh, you know, waterworks turned on and I was like, aha, we hand me tissues. But I think it was, to Jay's point, a fantastic, he was clearly dialed in uh, there and delivered a wonderful performance for the few minutes that we were able to see him. And I think, I mean, obviously we would want more because you always do, but what would that look like if, for where he was at in in, in his life? Well, so. The thing that I loved so much was it's like, as soon as you see him on screen, he's in a chair. That's the only difference. That mm-hmm. was Wilf, 100%. You know, I mean, Bernard Cribbins was 93 years old on set, just, and it, they they have some behind the scenes footage of him there that day. And he's, he is laughing and he's entertaining people. And he, it's just, it was so beautiful to see that. And I, I, it was everything I wanted it to be. Yeah. I think for some people, if they're not as good of an actor as probably, I mean, for sure he, he was, you'd have to hold puppies up to get that kind of joy in your <laughs> eyes and seeing like, it's just a dude coming out in a suit, but no, mm-hmm. you got yeah. true, pure love, joy, respect, and all of that for, he's been waiting. We, we haven't confirmed how long it's been for him and that true. Donna pegged it exactly right, that it's. Everyone else will have – they'll do their check-ins, but they will get on with their lives. But not Granda. He's going to be there, and he will be waiting. And when we get back, the first face they see in the right yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly where he would. <sighs> well, that all being said and what we are looking forward to, what in the world are we expecting next week? I am so excited because it's only a week. But what are we? What's in store for us? Big fat regeneration, yo. Yeah, I mean that. That's they. They didn't give us a whole lot in the next time trailer, but we did no. get the shot of David Tennant getting glowy, and we know that 
we know we're going to have to say goodbye, but then also getting to see Shooty, like, it, I don't want it to end, but I can't wait for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, Julie didn't want to watch the the next time, even though it's like what maybe eighteen seconds, and it only shows three faces. That's all Spoilers. you get. Three faces. I mean, it's faces <laughs> I know that we already know, but yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. But it's it's the the <laughs> only thing that me? I had, yeah the only thing I had noted is that the the one shot they take of Shooty with the last little bits of of glow energy coming off of him as he's standing there in David's shirt is he's not distressed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's standing perfectly still stationary, you know, not panicked, nothing on fire behind yeah, him. I was going to say, TARDIS is not on fire. TARDIS, Tardis is, is not on fire. He's not laying down in the grass having just died in a la yeah. fourth to or, fifth. Or, or right? you know, like, falling through the sky. Falling or through. Like or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just uh, starting to break into a little smile. So this was this this feels like whatever this is, this is a resolution of sorts. This is a something hits. Uh, it's it's equilibrium. Something gets get resolved. Answer to the question that's been consistently asked over the last two episodes. Yes, or or some at least somewhat maybe. Mm-hmm. And Which I, is I think what? Oh, what? <laughs> that's the question. I I think I don't know. I mean, I I'm trying to put words to this. So I I know that I'm very excited to see Shooty in the role, and while having my doctor come back is an amazing experience and I'm so glad we got it. I think I am also very ready for this next era of what this is going to be. And the fact that there is already so much content that's been created and we know it's going to continue and that there is no sort of end game for him yet. The, the, the the edge of Mm. The edge of creation is the limit. And so I feel like we can definitely, I'm very excited for all of that. So I think what better stage to set than next week? Well, this has been episode 509 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, do my arms seem just a a touch on the long side today? (laughs) And this is Kier saying, "I, I, I can't follow any of this. And that is proof because let's not pretend I'm a stupid one. This is Julie saying, we've got a chair. That's a good sign. It's a life form with a bum. And this is Haley saying, we can do anything. We've got a sonic screwdriver and a non-sonic screwdriver. (laughs) We'll see you next time. I'll see. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.